0: Don't shut those Bibles. Page 14, if you're taking notes, let me pray. Father God, we beg you please to speak to us tonight. Give us ears that are open to hearing what you have to say to us. I pray that we won't come with what we expected to say or wanted to say, but that we will listen to what you have to say. And I pray, please, that you will give us faith, that you'll give us joy, that you will transform our lives through what we hear right now. Please speak through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this is something so horrific that we should not even talk about it. That's what Cicero, the ancient Roman historian, said 2,000 years ago. He said crucifixion, that is putting someone to death on a cross, is so bad it should not even be mentioned in the presence of decent Roman citizens. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Uh, they, they called it the most wretched of deaths, so bad that no Roman citizen could be executed this way unless Caesar ordered it. It was only for the worst criminals. Death on a cross... Remains perhaps the worst and most horrific form of execution in the history of humankind. It's so the pain is so horrendous that it's literally where we get the word excruciating from. Excruciating literally means from the cross. Now describe for you the way the most likely way that Jesus was executed. He would have been stripped naked. Nails would have been put into probably that part of his forearm there. His feet would have been nailed to the cross and the cross would have then been stood up, leaving him hanging. Death usually comes by suffocation. Stretched out, the weight on their chest is so great that they struggle to fill their lungs with air. Desperate, they push themselves up to take a breath. And that could go on for hours or even days. Eventually, the person would either suffocate or Die of dehydration or blood loss or traumatic shock or heart failure. To quicken the death, Roman guards would often take an iron club and shatter their legs so they couldn't push up to breathe. Now, this wasn't done in private, this was done in public places, like hanging a bloody naked man up in front of Hoyt's at Aaron fair, and crowds would gather around to, to mock and to spit on him as they sweat in the sun and even from the pain lose control of their bowels. The whole point was to make them suffer for the longest time possible in the most agony and humiliation possible. And that's why it's such a shocking thing that Paul writes this thing here in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, "May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ." Keep your Bibles open to that verse, and have a look. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus. He's saying, I want the only thing that I boast about to be the way that Jesus was killed. Now, people boast about all sorts of things, yeah? Your movie collection, your Pokemon collection, how good you are at netball, what level you were on on League of Legends, how many Easter eggs you got. We love to boast. We love to make people think how good we are. But we always boast about things that we think are good or impressive. Yeah. But Paul says the only thing that he will boast about is a brutal murder. The cross of his Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is a shocking thing to boast about. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, it's coming up on the screen, we read it, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's resolved. He's made the decision. This is going to be the only thing he's going to know, the only thing he'll talk about. For Paul, who's writing that, the cross is the center of Christianity. Now, That's a shocking thing to talk about, <laughs> let alone make it the only thing that you talk about. But it doesn't stop there. See, the cross is everywhere in Christianity. People hang the cross around their neck. They get crosses as tattoos. They put crosses on top of churches, on their Bible covers, on their tombstones. We, we sing about the cross. Even notice how many of the songs we sing this week are about the cross. The cross is everywhere. But why would Christians choose the cross as their symbol? It's like wearing a little electric chair around your neck or a little Nazi gas chamber. They could have chosen so many other symbols, an empty tomb because he rose from the dead, a book to symbolize his teaching, a crown to represent he's the king. But they chose not, he, not something to represent his birth, not even his life, not even his resurrection, but his death to be the symbol and the center of Christianity. Why does the cross have such an important place? And how can Christians today call it good news, good Friday, and be happy about it? How can this death 2,000 years ago be for you, as the Bible says that it is? Here's the big question we're asking this week. What makes the cross such a big deal? And if you can't answer that, or if you don't see how you need the cross then you probably don't understand Christianity. Because you don't understand Jesus till you understand his cross. And lots of you guys think that you're Christians, but you can't afford to be wrong. Heaven and hell are on the line. And so this week, find out if you really are. And There's no better way to understand the cross. This week, we'll work out why the cross is the center of Christianity. Now, does anyone here cry in movies? Girls? Do any girl cry in a movie? Do any boys cry in movies? I cried in the movie Les Miserables, which I think is okay because the movie title literally means The Miserables. Um, but I also cried in an Adam Sandler movie, and I think that's less okay. That's a comedy. But I do think it's okay to cry in movies. But I'll tell you what, you'd think someone had a problem if they cried often in movies, but they never cried in real life. Because real life is... Like, real. (laughs) Have you ever um, had that hectic experience when you're watching a movie um, and and it's this crazy movie, gets the end and it says, based on a true story? And you're like, whoa, that that actually happened? Well, I think we can often treat Jesus' death like an emotional story. But the first big point to get tonight is that Jesus' death on the cross doesn't just end with the words, based on a true story, It is a true story. Tonight, point number one, see the truth of the cross. This is no myth or legend. Jesus, a real human, was executed. It's a fact as real as the last meal that you had. Jesus, a real human being, was nailed on a cross till he died. Fact. If someone you you know has died, you know the tragedy of that. I've been to funerals this year. Jesus death was as real as that. Now, how do I know that? If you're the sort of person that likes evidence, I want to say, good. This is the religion for you. There's a stack of evidence. That's actually why I'm a Christian today. Because when I was your age, I looked into the evidence and I found that there was too much to ignore. Now, we can't go into all of that, obviously, but I want to convince you of two things. Number one, Jesus was a real man. Now, does anyone still use Twitter? One of you. Yeah, I gave up. Anyway, a lecturer in ancient history at Macquarie University tweeted this. It's up on screen. He said, I'll eat a page of my Bible if skeptics can find one professor of ancient history or New Testament in a real university who thinks Jesus didn't live. Now, a comedian called John Safran thought that would be pretty funny to watch. So he he retweeted it to his 52,000 followers. The race was on. Could anyone find one professor of ancient history who thinks Jesus didn't live? And people began firing in suggestions. But you know what? When you checked them out, they were like professor of dental surgery or Italian studies. Things like that. Now, a year later, how many do you think that actually found that were actually professors of history? You guys tell me. How many? Not one. Out of John Saffron's 52,000 followers, not one of them could find a single professor of history in any real university anywhere in the world who thinks Jesus didn't really live. Which means that if you think Jesus wasn't a real man, you are going against every professor of ancient history in every university in the world. Now why are they so sure? It's because there's too much evidence, both inside the Bible and outside the Bible. Now I want to show you something that history would tell us even if we didn't have the Bible. That's point two. History tells us that he really was crucified. So I'll show you some history. This is written by a guy called Tacitus. He's an ancient historian who lived in the same century as Jesus. You can see a little statue of him there. And we get heaps of our history from Tacitus. Most of what we know about Roman emperors comes from this guy. Now he wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was anti-Christian. But Tacitus wrote about Jesus and his death. I read to you. Christians, this is what he said Christians derived their name from a man called Christ, who, during the reign of Emperor Tiberius, had been executed by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. And how funny is this next bit? This deadly superstition, thus checked for the moment, broke out afresh, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but also in the city of Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world meet and become popular. It's so anti-Christian, it's funny. But do you see how it says there that he was executed by Pontius Pilate? That's exactly what the Bible says. And there's heaps more that I won't go into, but it's up on the slide. And you can see that... We'll go to the next slide, yeah. You can see that heaps of ancient guys wrote about Jesus' death on the cross. Now, these are the same guys that we base heaps of our knowledge of ancient history on. And it's solid evidence that Jesus really did die on the cross. Now, the Bible is... A reliable historical document. But I just wanted you to see that even without the Bible, these historical sources tell us Jesus really was crucified. And tonight I want you to really feel the truth of the cross. This isn't myth or legend. You could have been there. You could have been wet with his blood. You could have spat on him like the crowds did. See, imagine you're watching a Titanic movie and you're finding it interesting But then you get on a submarine and you you go down or you go scuba diving or something and and you see it. And you're like, whoa, this actually happened. But then imagine you stick your head inside one of the holes. You see a skeleton lying there. And all of a sudden it becomes very real to you. Let the cross become real to you this week. You can't ignore this as a myth or a legend. Jesus, a real human being, was executed. And the Bible says that it was for you, which means this isn't just historical, this is also personal. But what actually happened that day? See, now that you know the truth of the cross, I want you to see the tragedy of the cross. That's point number two, the terrible torture of the Son of God. Now, Alex is going to come up and read to you from Mark chapter 15, and I want you to picture this. You can even shut your eyes if it helps, but this is what happened to the King of the Universe. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is from Mark chapter 15.
1: Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sahedron reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say. Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the Insectionists who had had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the King of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. "'What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews?' Pilate asked him. "'Crucify him,' they shouted. "'Why? What crime has he committed?' asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, "'Crucify him.'" Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. You see here the beginnings of
0: how Jesus suffered physically. You might want to write that down. It says in verse 15 that he was flogged. Now this would have been so painful that actually many people died of it before they even got to the cross. So the man would be stripped, his hands would be tied above his head to a pole. And a whip would be used made of straps of leather. At the end of the straps were balls of metal or bone or hooks. And each whip would literally rip off chunks of the body. Jesus was flogged like this. He suffered physically. But how amazing is this man? Because he doesn't retaliate. He knows where this is going, but he doesn't shrink back. Isn't this the most amazing man that's ever lived? And in that state, having been flogged, the story continues as they mock him. Verse sixteen.
1: The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the Praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, "Hail, King of the Jews!" Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and then they they had mocked him. And then, when, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. They had him led out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered him mixed wine with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. That's all it says. And they
0: crucified him. It doesn't go into detail about how. It doesn't need to. They all knew. Actually, there's another reason why they didn't go into detail. I'll talk about that in a second. Keep reading from verse 33. Let's finish the story.
1: At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbathani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing around heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone.
0: Greater love has no one than this, thanks Alex. Greater love has no one than this, than that he should lay down his life for his friends. Tonight, see the tragedy of the cross, the terrible torture of the Son of God. Jesus suffered physically for six hours on the cross. But there's more going on here than that. And we're going to take a little bit of a break, and I'll tell you a story. Because have you ever been in that situation where there's more going on than you realized? Manet knows the feeling one night her and Zach went out to dinner after dinner Zach took her for a romantic walk out along the jetty and Manet noticed that there were candles all along it Manet says to Zach Zach we shouldn't be here someone's going to get engaged here Zach's like maybe let's go have a look so they walked down to the end of the jetty and at that point Manet has worked out half the story. Someone is going to get engaged on that jetty, but there's more going on than she realizes. She still hasn't clicked that it's her (laughs) that's going to get engaged that night. See, sometimes there's more going on than you realize. And there are clues in that too, that there's more going on than just physical pain, that number two, Jesus suffered spiritually. Now here's clue number one. The writers hardly spend any time describing the actual crucifixion. Here's clue number two. If Jesus was worried about just physical pain, he's not even as brave as his followers. See, heaps of Christians through the years have gone to death bravely, even singing songs because they know where they're going. They're going to heaven. But check out how terrified Jesus was. Uh, If you turn there, Mark 14, 34, otherwise it's up on the screen. This is the middle of the night before Jesus died. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said, stay here and keep watch. Like You just see Jesus' emotions overwhelmed with sorrow. The book of Luke tells us that he was in such emotional pain, sweat was dripping off him. Now was the Son of God... A coward in the face of death when so many others have died bravely? Or did he know that his sufferings would be more than physical, more than any human has ever experienced? Well, here's clue number three. The thing that Jesus fears the most is drinking the cup. If you've got Mark 14 there, look at the next verse up on screen. Mark 14, 35. Going a little further, he fell to the ground. And prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. What is it that he asks God, if there's any other way, take this away from me? A cup. Now, what's this cup? Well, it's a common picture in the Bible. It's the cup of God's wrath. Wrath means anger and punishment for sin. So, for example, there's a verse there, Jeremiah twenty-five, fifteen. There's a heap of other verses up there. But Jeremiah says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. So what's this cup that Jesus is terrified to drink? It's the cup of God's anger and punishment at sin. It's the spiritual suffering that will come as God puts our punishment onto Jesus and punishes him spiritually for the sins of every human who's ever lived. Spiritual suffering that you cannot even begin to imagine. And that's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet his physical pain was severe, but his spiritual suffering was worse as he lovingly accepted all of God's anger towards sin so that you and I don't have to. And so to every person in this room, Jesus did this for you. You may not understand how that works yet. This week you'll find out. But may I say that if this did happen, which it did, you cannot be unchanged by it. And I don't see how you could not care. I don't see how you could find out that Jesus, a real human being, died for you. And find out how terrible was his torture for you. And not want to know more about this man who would do such a thing for you. But is it something to boast about? Does it deserve to be the center of Christianity? Yes. Lastly tonight, see number three, the treasure of the cross. It is the center of Christianity. This isn't something we're embarrassed about. It's our treasure. Now, what makes us so sure of that? Well, I'm going to punch through seven reasons pretty quick. You might not have time to look up all the verses. You can look them up later. But first, it's the main reason that Jesus came. We read Mark 10.45 already. Jesus tells us why he came. It says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and why did he come? To give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says there his main mission on earth was to give his life. The cross is the center of Christianity in Jesus' mind. Secondly, it's the core of our message. We read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says what his message is. What did he preach? I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul preached, Christ crucified. The core of what we announce to the world is this. Jesus died on the cross. So the cross is the center of Christianity, not just for Jesus, but also for Paul and the apostles, and it's the center of our message, which means an application for you. This week, make it your aim to understand the cross more deeply than you ever have before. Because if you understand the cross, you understand the Bible And you understand Jesus. Third, the cross is the only way we can be saved. And what we just read before, Jesus prayed the night before he died, if there's any other way, can we do that way? Now, do you think God would deny the prayer of his own son? There's only one conclusion that we can draw. There was no other way for humans to be saved and go to heaven. It had to be through the cross, which means you need to work out where you stand this week. With God and the cross. Because these aren't just ideas. This affects you. And the cross is the only way to be saved. Has it saved you? Do you see the cross as amazing or boring? There's possibly no better way to work out whether you're saved by the cross. Work it out this week. And grab hold of eternal life through Jesus' death on the cross. Now, why was it the only way? Well, that's what we're asking tomorrow night. But for now, we know that the cross must have been the only way. Without the cross, it's impossible for any person to be saved. If you lose the cross, you lose all hope and you lose Christianity. D. It's the ultimate display of who God is. John chapter 12 says that on the cross, Jesus glorified himself and his father. In other words, he showed who he is and how amazing he is. E the cross is the central event in history. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, the cross is of of first importance, which means no event is of more importance. Not the day you were born, not the day the iPhone went on sale, no military victory, no discovery or invention, not even when the universe was created. No other event in history is as important as the cross, except maybe Jesus' resurrection. They kind of go together. But this was the defining moment in history. Before that, all of history was doing this. Come on, come on, come on. And ever since that, all of history has been doing this. Yeah! (laughs) The cross stands in the middle of history, not just Christianity, but the entire world. Which means if you want to live your life in tune with the world, if you want to get as much out of your life as you can, you've got to get your head around this event and what it means for your life. F, the cross is the foundation of the Christian life. You become a Christian by putting your faith in Jesus' death on the cross for you. You keep going as a Christian by looking back at Jesus' death on the cross for you. And the way you act as a Christian is in imitation of Jesus' death on the cross for you. And lastly, G, it's the center of our worship. Revelation chapter 5 says that even in heaven... The millions crowded around Jesus' throne praise him for his death on the cross. And that tells you what place the cross should have in our worship of Jesus with our lives, both individually and as a youth group when we gather together. We never move on from the cross. We can never talk too much about the cross. We can never pray or sing or think too much about the cross. At the forefront of our mind, in everything that we do, and as the fuel of it, whether individually or as a youth group, it's Jesus' death on the cross. Do you begin to see how central the cross is to Christianity? And I believe we've barely scratched the surface. Did your mum ever say to you, Sweetie, the universe doesn't revolve around you. Now what's she saying? She's saying you're acting like everything's about you. It's not about you, sweetie. But Christianity and in fact the universe actually does revolve around this one event and that's what we talk about when we say the centrality of the cross. The center of Christianity and in fact the universe is Jesus' death on the cross. Now it's true it's not the most important part of Christianity. God is. It's not even all there is to Christianity but it is the center. And so I want to end with four things of application. Number one. Christianity is not just a collection of ideas. It's the event of a real man dying a real death. Christianity is Christ crucified. Number two, guys. Where do you stand with the cross tonight? And work that out this week. Have you been saved by the cross? Are you sure? Number three, you guys could kill our youth group. Now you've seen how important the cross is. If you want to kill our church, forget about the cross. Even just get it wrong. One smart guy, P.T. Forsyth, which I think is a cool name, he said this, On this interpretation of the work of Christ, the whole church rests. If you move faith from that center, you have driven the nail into the church's coffin. The church is then doomed to death and it's only a matter of time when she'll expire. If you want to kill our church, forget about the cross or get it wrong. Therefore, we need to make sure that we learn it and keep reminding each other of it and keep it central in our preaching, in our conversation, in our prayers, in our singing. And you might wonder why we tell the same stuff to you guys so often. I'll tell you. It's because it only takes three generations to, to lose the gospel. The first generation preaches the gospel. The second just assumes that everybody knows the gospel and thinks you don't need to preach it, which means that the third generation forgets the gospel. Now, we're the first generation. We're up here preaching it. But in five years' time, it will be up to you. Will you still be here preaching the cross. In five years' time, it will be your job to make sure that EV Youth, and in fact, EV Church, never forgets the gospel of the death of Christ on the cross. Number four, this week, decide to make the cross central to your life. Now, we'll talk more about what that means, but it's worth asking, what place does it have in my life, in my Christianity? As I've prepared these talks, I've fallen more in love with Jesus' death for me on the cross than I ever have. Will you make it central to your life? It's just like the song we'll be singing this week. I'll get the band up because I just want us to reflect on some words while they play behind us. It's the words of the song, When I Survey. Now, while they come up, just look at those words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss. What's that saying? Everything I've got, no matter how good it is, compared to Jesus, it's nothing. I count it as loss. And I pour contempt on my pride. I say, my pride, it's rubbish. What I've got, it's nothing. And then look at that next line there. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, except in the death of Christ my Lord. That's what I've been talking about tonight. So yeah, I want you guys to, to play. I just want to give you guys some time to, just to read those words and think about it. even if the whole realm of nature was ours, that wouldn't even be an offering big enough. That kind of love demands my soul, my life, my all. We're going to sing soon, but one last thing has to be added to that. He didn't stay dead. It wasn't possible for death to hold him down. He defeated sin and death and he rose to victory. He lives forever. He's alive right now. That's what this week is about. We're going to sing. Can you stand up quietly? And before we sing, I want to finish my talk by reading something to you. I was wondering if the band band could be a bit quieter than now, but that's good. Do you want to make a difference in the world? Because you should. And what I'm about to read to you is from a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. He says this, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know a few great things that matter, perhaps just one, and be willing to die for them. The people that make a lasting difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles that you drop to become waves that reach to the end of the earth and roll on into eternity, you don't need to have a high IQ You don't have to have good looks or riches or come from a fine family or a fine school. Instead, you need to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things or one great, all-embracing thing and be set on fire by them. Father God, that thing, is the cross the true cross the tragic cross the treasure of the cross thank you for the cross we see the centrality of it please make it central in our lives let's sing